0: That's the power of having talked to hundreds and hundreds of women is I didn't feel in my own little bubble of norm of the people I worked with, the industry I worked in, like a lot of this stuff was okay to ask for. But as soon as I started hearing what was happening in other people's industries and propelling other people's careers and allowing them to stay, I thought, you know what, actually, this is more of a human right. Hi,
1: I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juna Women podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juna Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. In this episode, I'm chatting with Lauren Brody, a mom and author of the book, The Fifth Trimester. I started listening to this book and loved it so much, I knew I had to bring Lauren to the podcast. We talk about how most moms are unprepared for the shift from career to motherhood, how to talk to your employer as your family situation changes, and tips for negotiating a work-life balance that fits your lifestyle. This episode is a lifesaver for any mom who's feeling stressed about balancing their new role as a working mom. I hope you enjoy.
0: I'm Lauren Smith Brody. I am the author and the founder of The Fifth Trimester, um, which is a book, and it is also a movement and a consulting business. Most of what I do now is writing and speaking about the intersection of motherhood and business. And in pandemic times, that has expanded to include dads caregiving of our elders, spousal care, self-care, really anything that forces you to have to negotiate externally and internally about how to manage the place where everything all comes together of work we get paid for and the work that we don't get paid for caring for our families. My background is that I spent the first sort of 1.0 part of my career in women's magazines, mostly at Glamour, where I was for 13 years, and I had a whole bunch of different kinds of jobs there. My last one was as executive editor, and I had both of my boys when I was working there in that span of 13 years and it was in many ways a largely supportive environment I was surrounded by women like it was a lot of women a lot of a lot of moms and yet coming back to work after my first son I didn't Feel like I knew what to do. It felt very much like it was my first day on the job. And so I am a person who's built to wear everything on my face. Like I just can't, I can't <laughs> spin to save my life. And I have tried to turn that into a, a career attribute. And in this way, it, it very much is. I came back, I was really open about the challenges of new motherhood and, and working and, and I found that instead of that actually being a weakness, and in many ways, and this is granted from a position of some executive privilege at that point, it was in many ways something that helped evolve my career for the better. It helped me be a more compassionate manager. It helped me show other people around me that actually like these problems that we could see because they were visible, we could solve them together. Fast forward, another kid, another what I had learned to call fifth trimester, um, which Mm -hmm. is the few months um, when you're first coming back to paid work after having your baby. And I I realized that I wanted to do some research that looked beyond my own experience because I knew even then that I had an admittedly privileged experience. I had a partner who was super supportive. I had parents who had just retired and who could come to town and help if I needed them to. I was surrounded by other like-minded progressive women, and yet still it had been really hard. So... I ended up leaving Glamour, surveyed almost 800 new working moms to find out what we had in common in spite of our differences of demographics, location, and was able to really start connecting the dots in a way that let me call on my journalism experience and my reporting and my research and turned that into the skeleton of my book, which shares a lot of those stories and experiences, not just my own, but all all of these other parents and what they learned and the advice they have to offer. And then that was five years ago. And since then, I have turned it into a, a speaking platform and a way to go into businesses and help them do a better job of retaining new moms and seeing the value of retaining these women and not letting them go by simply supporting them through this transition. And in pandemic times, as I said, that has broadened to include dads and all kinds of caregiving as we have collectively found ourselves all in a fifth trimester. It's no longer just for new moms. It's really for everyone who's trying to negotiate working um, for pay and their personal lives.
1: Man, isn't that the truth? I feel like that it's changed so much over the last year, just as all of us have (laughs) been trying to figure out what is a new work-life balance, especially when the majority of us are working in the home. And for Mm -hmm. A period of time, our children were in this home too. (laughs) Mine still
0: are. Yeah. Yeah. It really depends on where you are. But I have one, my younger son who's nine just went back in person for the first time this week.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. It's everyone's got their own challenges yeah. with trying to navigate this new world. Well, let's I want to get back to the begin like the, the beginning. I was go, I going to ask you what inspired you to write your oh. book.
0: But, <laughs> and then but, I gave you my like 12 minute answer. There you go. Which is wonderful. <laughs> so we can now we can start.
1: I like I want to get into some practical applications of your book because sure. I, it really is like a how to yeah. go back to work and feel like yourself. And, but that kind of starts in pregnancy. So, mm-hmm. and I, one of the, a common question that came up, especially when I was a manager was like, and, and I was one of those open book managers too. Mm-hmm. And I made it like a very safe place from the people that worked for me to tell me about their fertility or, you know, like whatever was going on, mm-hmm. but I, that's not the case for a lot of people. So is there an ideal time or a best way to tell your workplace that you are pregnant?
0: Oh, that is, it's funny. That's a question that I think I would answer differently now than I would have when the book first came out. Standard operating procedure is once you're past that initial trimester and you've had the screenings that you need, depending on your what, what conditions you may have or how, your age, to help you confirm that it's a healthy pregnancy, and that's a good time to reveal it. I and my boys are nine and twelve. If I were pregnant now, I think I actually would be inclined to share earlier because I think that we need to be more transparent about the challenges of pre-pregnancy of trying to get pregnant and of the time yeah. and um, mental energy that can take and also because of miscarriage because it's yep. so incredibly common and because the irony of the timing of telling everybody at 12 weeks is once you're at 12 weeks you're feeling better you're feeling better <laughs> just physically you may be feeling better emotionally you may be feeling and this is obviously not true for everyone like you're the pregnancy is viable and and safer, but you need support in those early days too. And when people do lose pregnancies, it's our country doesn't really have formal laws around how businesses support loss of pregnancy. And it leaves it up to the private sector in many cases, whether to define it as as a a grief loss, like a grief leave, or Mm -hmm. as a medical leave, or as disability, or as just paid time off as vacation. And anytime you leave that judgment to the private sector, those who can offer more will and those who can't won't. And so it it causes even further disparity in the access that we have to fair employment and good medical treatment. I'm sorry, so that's a long way in. But I would say as soon as you are comfortable and as soon as you have told your core people in your life, then I think it's worth talking about it because you also want to, in terms of your career... You want to get ahead of it. You want to, you don't want to treat it like it's this one conversation of like, how on earth are we going to deal with the fact that I'm going to be on maternity leave? It's more of one in a series of many conversations about career development, about the fact that we sometimes will have to lean more into paid work and more into non-paid work. But in the end, it all shakes out to being able to do both. And you can rather than feeling like it's a last minute sort of juggle of who's going to take over each of these projects, you actually have more on-ramping time to help people grow into some of the things that you'd like them to take over. And, very many of us over-deliver on our job descriptions because often you start a job and then you add more and more to it and you may find that there are actually things that you're doing that aren't really additive anymore but that would be additive to somebody who wants to grow into that stuff. And so with that wonderful 9, 10 months of pregnancy, you have time to train people into this stuff so that it's not seen as a sloughing off of duties but as good management practice.
1: Totally. I, lo- I love that. I wouldn't even think of that but it is an opportunity and when I think back to my own first maternity leave like the things that I like delegated to the people that worked for me like I didn't take those things back like I found a new yeah. role when I came back which is we'll get into it because I think that's also a scary thing as you're leaving for maternity leave you're like oh if these people can yeah. do my job will they not need me anymore yeah.
0: <laughs> it's a really common fear it really is and the answer is no you're very needed Exactly. And, and
1: you just may find that there's a new role, new responsibilities that you get to grow into as well.
0: And something I talk about a lot is new measures of success. You may have been someone, and this is true in the first part of many of our careers, is that you can measure time in terms of like title and status and money and hours. And it's, it's a lot about FaceTime. It's a lot about showing up. It's a lot about being the person who's dependably always available. And guess what? A lot of that is exactly what changes when you have a child, when you're not you're not available 24 hours a day. The first thing you do in the morning is not necessarily to check an email from your boss, but to answer the cry of your baby. And so having a reframe that you allow yourself of what counts as success now and how do I measure it is really important when you're coming back to work.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, this is a weird segue, but I think like when you... I remember being like, okay, I'm going to take maternity leave and there's like kind of that, am I going to be as capable when I come back when my Mm -hmm. brain is in a million different places? And you talk about this in the book a little bit, but the level of efficiency of a new mom is, I feel like I became 10 times more productive because like
0: Mm -hmm. I just cut the nonsense out of my day. Exactly. Exactly. And it's important to be to be transparent about the fact that's how and why you're getting it done. Because everybody's going to look at you and be like, I'm not seeing quite as much of her. But no, it's actually that you've cut out a lot of the BS. Yeah. And when you're there, you're really getting it done.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I like still, still look at my husband. And granted, it's been different now that he... You know, like work now that everyone's working at home and basically like Zooms are Zooms and everything is Mm -hmm. just all work. There's no fluff in anyone's day, which I think Mm -hmm. has its own downsides. (laughs) It just feels like everyone's just working all the time. But like, I think about how. Enjoyable. I remember, like, he'd come home, and I'm like, "You got to go to lunch with your yeah. with your coworkers." Like, that's fluff in a day. I don't do that. Like, I work through yeah. lunch so I can leave at four, so I can you know pick up Luke or whatever.
0: You get or it. you're <laughs> like pumping breast milk during right. lunch. Like, exactly. Lunch. As you oh, shovel, yeah. you like hold the things in place with one hand, and you like shovel a sandwich into your mouth with the other. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's and your fluff.
1: You have an entire chapter dedicated to pumping at yeah. work, and I I I think that's that is a challenge that a lot of people have, especially I'm so fortunate that I had a nice work, at least for the first place I worked had a nice mm-hmm. pumping room. We're, we're going to get to that, but I, I want to go back real fast. So is there, do you have any tips for navigating a flexible return to work? Yes. Because yes, I, yes, I think absolutely. that's something you don't people don't even know that's an option.
0: I do, yeah. at least. It is the number one thing. When I go into an organization or a company and I just I survey the room, this is in, in the before times and hopefully in the after times, I will be mm-hmm. in a room with these people again. Now it's all done on Zoom. But the first thing I ask them is like, what has helped you? What's been the most helpful? And without fail, if that organization has offered any kind of on-ramping, a graduated baby stepping of coming back in, that is the thing that they say first and foremost, and even ahead of like the exact number of weeks they were able to take for parental leave and how many of them were paid. And it's just been shown, you know, time and again, that this is how this is how humans operate. The same thing is going to be true for our children. If you have older kids who are going to be going back to school or back into a caregiving situation, as you perhaps return to, to your own workplace, is that we adapt best when we adapt gradually. And it just, it's been shown to help with retention. It's been shown to help with just everything, including being able to take the time you need to get your baby vaccinated, longer paid parental leave, and or extended. I always say that if you have, can't have the full paid six months, which is really the minimum that has been shown by research is required for to best support mom's mental health, mom's physical health, baby's physical health, ability to retain your career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then whatever you can do to cushion the time between when people come back, which, you know, let's say if it's FMLA, that you're able to take the whole thing, that's 12 weeks and that six month mark, like that's really how long the the graduated sort of phase back needs to be. Got it.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think like you talk about it a little bit in your book, but like for me, I didn't know that was an option. And then I, even if I knew it was an option, I don't know if I w- would have had the confidence to know that was an okay conversation to have with my boss. Like I had just taken 12 weeks, yeah, like now yeah. I want this. So do you have any tips for getting the confidence when you go in to make yeah. that?
0: Yeah. So the best thing to do is to educate yourself about and to externalize these factors. This is not that if coming back to work at, so the average FMLA taken by a woman who has access to it is eight and a half weeks. So if coming back to work at eight and a half weeks or at 12 weeks, for instance, feels hard to you, the natural impulse that a lot of women have is to think that there's something wrong with them because that's what's been culturally accepted as like the normal amount of time. But the reality is there's every reason that it would be hard. And for most people it is. And so to... Just actually negotiate with yourself first to understand the extenuating factors, to understand, to look at a couple of those pie charts that just show how desperately behind the United States is in terms of supporting new parents compared to the rest of the developed countries in the world, to see what childcare access looks like outside of the United States Mm. in developed countries. Do a little of that first to get a little righteously angry and understand that that this is not your employer's fault, this is a larger cultural problem, and that by asking for what you need and coming up with a plan, not just an ask, but a plan that would let you have that need filled, you are making progress, not just for yourself in your own personal life with what feels like the highest stakes possible, your baby, but you're actually doing good for everyone else around you who works with you, who has a caregiving need that may look like yours or may look different, and who doesn't have some degree of privilege that you have to be able to speak up. And you hope that someone who has more privilege than you do will speak up a little bit more loudly. But remember that we're bringing everyone else along with us. And a lot of the negotiating that I see brand new moms doing now is really similar to what I see a lot of parents doing in the pandemic with kids of all ages. And if this time has taught us anything, it's that you know, we can definitely work more flexibly than we ever imagined. It's not ideal, but I can't tell you how many um, corporate clients I have who had formal flex time arrangements of maximum one day a week. Like They're all eating their words because actually it's when they had to make it work, they did. And so you're entering into these conversations if you're having them now with that cushion of sort of new cultural understanding, which is a real benefit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I will get into it in a little bit. But like, I, one of my questions for you is what are the positives of the pandemic? And I think like
0: this flexibility oh, yeah. is just
1: huge for women returning back. And I think it's
0: important. It's really important because the criticisms that I have seen about this are the ones that that gender it like that, that say, okay, but as everybody goes back, the only people who are going to ask for flexibility are women. No, no, no. And this is the best practices that I teach to the organizations I work with is like when you offer flexibility, you offer it for everyone because everyone has a personal life and because it has been shown time and again to increase productivity for everyone. As much as you negotiate for things for moms and we need to stick up for each other, it's important to, to really include everyone you work with in those negotiations.
1: We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity, and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have, as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women Podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to Juna.co. And when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. You, you touch on this also in your book, but as you start to negotiate that flexible, return, what are best practices in handling and managing your coworkers and peers?
0: Oh, sure. I am all about transparency. There may be situations where you are asked to like keep your flexibility quiet. And I would really, I would really engage the person who's asking you that uh, Mm -hmm. about why, because if you want to prove that you can do this successfully, that means that you need to be dependable and people need to know when you're accessible and how they can reach you. Not just that you like disappear into an ether because you didn't disappear. You actually are working. You're just doing it in a flexible way. And so I would really push back if you get any of that. And and then in terms of just best practices for negotiating, come with a plan. You definitely want to know the really the, the small print of the policies that are available where you work. And that may be different than what is the norm on your team for better and for worse. So it's important to know what's what you're supposed to have access to. You should also know if anybody around you has had has set a precedent that they had a need and that it was granted because organizations get a little touchy about that precedent being set. And if it's been set, like pretty much they need to allow it to you too, lest they open themselves up to accusations of discrimination. So it's really good information to have going into these conversations. And that's not to say that these conversations need to be contentious at, at all, but you might feel better presenting your case, knowing all this stuff. And then look around at what, what your competitors offer, what kind of flexibility they offer, what kind of parental leave they offer, and think of either wanting to be a leader in doing better than them or of needing to catch up in order to support and retain good employees. And so think of a broader picture too. Then yeah. when you go into the conversation, have your job description in mind. Know what you were actually meant to deliver to be paid to do your job and have a plan and probably also a plan B and maybe even a plan C for how you could get that job done in the confines that you're imagining present it. If you don't get an immediate yes, you can ask to try it. Trial periods can you know, be effective in as little as one month, and then you've proven that it's possible. There are very few managers who have an easy time saying no to, can we try it, please? Those are my best tips.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's I I feel like the trial period is it's like what skin off your
0: back is it? Exactly. <laughs> can, exactly. It. <laughs> yeah. And then there's some really specific stuff. Like a lot of people's natural instinct is if they're gonna work, say, a four-day week, is to to not to have their non-working day be Friday, or if they're gonna work from home, to work from home on a Friday. I actually really advise that people take a closer look at whether that's a good decision because I cannot tell you how many people have email chains open on their screens that stay open until four o'clock on Friday, and then they like pass the ball, right? Mm -hmm. Like then it moves to the next step. And if you're not there for that, or if you're not engaged for that, you may miss out on opportunities. So I don't always recommend that people take Fridays, for instance. And then the other really important thing is if you are going to be delivering your entire job description and just doing it in fewer hours, it does not mean that you should give yourself a pay cut. I am over that model. <laughs> yeah. I think that we've seen too many women over deliver on their jobs and actually do a hundred percent of their job, but only be paid for 80% of it, which is not okay.
1: There was the amount of things that I like kicked myself over after listening to your book. Like oh, I mean, so me too. So that's many, why I wrote it. Yeah. It's just so brilliant. I think Thank I you. like, I definitely took like, was like, oh, I'll take a pay cut. And then I, yeah. when I returned, it was, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's also, that's the power of having talked to hundreds and hundreds of women is I didn't feel in my own little bubble of norm of the people I worked with, the industry I worked in, like a lot of this stuff was okay to ask for. But as soon as I started hearing what was happening in other people's industries and propelling other people's careers and allowing them to stay, I thought, you know what, actually, this is more of a human, right? Like we we need to make this happen for everybody.
1: Yeah, definitely. Now, one of the things that you mentioned in your book that I was so fortunate to have two of them, but it's so important is working mom
0: mentors. Can you talk a little bit about those and why they're important? Sure. First of all, if you don't have one, please consider, I will be yours. Go on my Instagram. It's like the only social media that I pay any attention to with any regularity. Tons of free resources. It's all there. You are in this with a lot of other people at the same time, and I think that peer mentorship is incredibly value valuable. But think of also the 800 women quoted in this book as one huge collective working mom mentor. Because I hate to oh I hate to say get a mentor, and then it's, it's like, are you my mother? Are you my mentor? And it's really hard to go ask for that. Instead, I think more realistically, you will probably have people in your life because a mentor is likely going to be older than you, is likely going to be somebody who went through parenthood, early parenthood, even five or 10 years ago is going to be different than what it looks like now. There's probably nobody who's going to satisfy all of it. And the burden of feeling like you have to achieve what that person did is not necessarily healthy. So instead, I would look for a collection of mentors. You might have a mentor who is like your your dress for success mentor. Mm-hmm. like Seriously, something as superficial as that can be important. You may have someone who is your social engagement mentor, who helps you you figure out like what to watch, what to listen to. Like, what are the kids doing these days anyway? Because that can become a real black hole. And in some industries, it's actually really important to know that stuff. You may have someone who is your introducer, someone who is constantly introducing you to amazing people, and then hopefully you return the favor too. And you may have somebody who's your negotiating mentor, someone who is really comfortable talking about money and getting really brass tacks with you about strategies to save and to earn more. And it's totally fine to have that whole team of mentors and to think of them for different different things.
1: Yes. That's what I think that's probably why I had two, is because they were both served very different purposes. But they mm-hmm. it was so life-changing to have them both before I went out on maternity leave and as I came back to work and navigated life as a new mom. And
0: just seeing somebody who's made it through this really hard part, which by the way is the hardest part, I think. And I say this only with 12 years of experience because my oldest is 12 and a half, but <laughs> That was the hardest part for me coming back.
1: Yeah, I want, so I guess my next question is, how do you recommend navigating the emotional, like preparing for emotionally coming back to work, leaving your baby at home for the first time. and Because I think for some, it's easy. For others, it's like yeah. heart-wrenching.
0: Oh, and even those for whom it's easy will will feel guilty about that, which yeah. that's, that is yep. not helpful. Like <laughs> mom guilt, total social construct, not helpful. So again, I think baby stepping it, if you haven't had the opportunity to leave your, and this is probably true for a lot of pandemic parenting parents right now, if you haven't had the opportunity to leave your baby for even an hour, please leave your baby for Hour, leave your baby for two hours, leave your baby for three hours so that it's not ripping off a huge band-aid. This is we're all a little too fragile for band-aid ripping off, right? So that that can be helpful in terms of just that first day. If you can work a slightly shorter day, that can be helpful. Whatever childcare you've chosen, and this may be a whole other question that you have, but your the research that I did on childcare really showed that the parents' comfort with their childcare decision was the number one predictor of their child's success, which sounds like I'm putting a lot of pressure on, but I don't mean it that way. What I mean is that as you're choosing childcare, really pay attention to your emotional needs and your emotional comfort as much as the logistical comfort. That may mean that you actually choose child care that is less expensive than the very most expensive one you can afford because it just makes you feel a little bit less anxious or that you choose child care that is closer to your home as opposed to your work because There's just something about having that baby close to home that feels better. There's all kinds of different factors. And so to pay attention to that. And then once you do have your childcare in place to work out a a sort of schedule of communication, and that can be, if it's a a caregiver in your home, that can be like having a daily chat at the end of the day and a weekly look ahead of the week ahead. And then a quarterly informal review and a yearly review. It's that, but it's also like, how often do you want to get pictures texted to you and there will be different, people have different feelings about that. Some people want to know every milestone that's hit the minute it happens. (laughs) Others are really comfortable actually seeing baby's first steps be the first ones that they see. And you know yourself, you're going to want to, I'm a need to know person. I want to know it all. I would rather know (laughs) than not, but there's some people for whom like getting a text every hour with an adorable picture would be really distracting and they would rather have one communication at lunchtime unless there's an emergency. So working that stuff out can really give you a lot of control over over a time that feels out of control.
1: Yeah. And as someone who – like I like how you say it feels like there's a lot of pressure, but there isn't because I had a couple f- false starts with childcare, and I mm-hmm. thought it was like the end of the world because I had spent months and I, I literally spent two months like interviewing. Yeah. I think it was like 85 nannies and then oh, in, in-person interviews like 12 yeah. and then three trials and doing all of that and we would finally settled on someone and a week into work she was like – actually, I'm going to go back to my old family. Like I thought I could do this commute. I can't. And I was like, I'm now back at work. (laughs) Wow. Now I have to like, but you know what? Like I found someone within a week who was absolutely wonderful. And so even with these like little trip ups, you
0: find it in you to. And I'm guessing by that point. You were really good at interviewing and you yes, knew what you needed and exactly. you knew what questions to ask. And so it just becomes a more efficient experience.
1: Yes. And, like, and now I'm, I, my oldest is four and a half and we've you know been through, we, we've, I think we've experienced every type of childcare you could imagine between daycare, mm-hmm. preschool, nanny, and au pair. We've experienced it all and there will be different fits for your childcare depending on the life phase that you're in. And, and, and just being flexible with that I think is so important.
0: Yeah. And also, I think particularly coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people have had to cobble together situations they never would have imagined before. (laughs) And so I'm hearing from a lot of my clients, even those who are happy to welcome a caregiver back into their home at this point, if people are vaccinated, or those who have a good spot at daycare, like some of them are are making their weeks be more of a hodgepodge of two days of daycare, two days of grandpa, and one day of a parent flexibly being home. Yeah, Um, All of that's on the table now.
1: And, I, and I, I love that. I, I wish we had family closer to be able to do that. But I think like for people that it's because you're just like, oh, you know what, if we are able to get by with this, then mm-hmm. that opens up so many other doors or savings or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, which is fantastic.
0: That said, I will tell people to be as patient as you can be with the childcare industry because it has suffered such enormous losses. It is largely min- I think 60% of childcare centers are minority owned. And there have been studies that show that when the economy is recovering, it takes there's a gap that it takes longer for child care to come for the childcare economy to come back. And so then my fear, of course, is that without really solid in-place childcare, that's going to mostly impact moms. So just know all of that going in. It's not good news, but it might help you be a little patient as you try to work it out.
1: I don't know about you guys, but eating healthy foods in the first trimester of pregnancy seemed like an impossible feat. That's why I started ordering Bump and Blend smoothie cubes. These smoothies were absolutely life-saving for my first try symptoms of constipation and nausea. Made by a mama friend of mine, these super easy smoothie cubes are designed by dietitians to support common pregnancy symptoms like mine, but also to support mama woes like mood swings and anxiety, low energy and trouble sleeping and many, many more. All you have to do is pop the bump and blends into your blender, add liquid, and enjoy a delicious smoothie made just for you. They have over 20 flavors, so I never got bored of them, and are made with 100% all natural whole real foods, so they're safe to share with your kiddos and even your babies. However, I used to make my smoothies when the kids were in school, so I didn't have to share. But that's just me. You do you. Seriously, their vegan cookie dough flavor. I made the mistake of letting my daughter eat once, and I couldn't open the freezer around her with <laughs> without her demanding them. So. Buyer beware. They were nice enough to pass along a special discount for our listeners. You can use the code J-U-N-A at checkout to save on your first order at bumpandblends.com. Again, head to bumpandblends.com and use the code J-U-N-A to get 20% off your first order. Yeah, I don't even have – this wasn't something I was planning on asking you, but I'm interested in your perspective on like how is childcare not (laughs) – yeah. <laughs> like like it's just like how like how would that impact us as mm-hmm. moms and as an economy if if childcare was a taxable this is a wait, do you yeah what i'm saying is if this is something we could
0: count like, on as like a, as a resource. On. Yeah. yeah. I am opening up I'm literally as we're talking I'm opening up a presentation that i just did a rehearsal for this morning that has a whole new childcare section in it. And let me read you some of these totally startling, but important to know statistics. Yes. Hang on. Okay, here we go. Are shifting childcare needs and new decisions? Because this is, first of all, it's important to remember that like, even without a pandemic, if your children are a year older now than the last time you evaluated your childcare, they might well have needed a change anyway. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. But so just to give you a sense of what's happened with the industry. So employment in childcare is down 16%. This was updated as of February of 2021. And that's compared to an overall drop in employment in the United States of 6%. So that's one stat. We know that 90% of domestic workers who were surveyed in March of 2020 had lost their jobs. 60% of childcare businesses are minority owned, and we know that already that obviously that people who are minorities have been disproportionately impacted by COVID in a lot of different ways. Anyway, 60% of dual income families rely on center-based childcare, and we'd also know that the gender wage gap is predicted to increase by 5% if that center-based childcare doesn't come back. Thankfully, this has been a big priority for the new administration. Just last week, President Biden released $39 billion to states, territories, and tribes to help rescue childcare, because there's just this deep understanding. And if you look even just on on the White House's um, fact sheets that they have online about this, it shows the direct connection between availability of childcare and the sustainability of our overall economy by keeping women in it. It's pretty remarkable, but it's gonna take time. And so whatever we can do to be patient, to band together, to cobble together, things that are going to allow us to stay employed and then be able to pay for childcare again and have access to good childcare is really important. There are more childcare deserts than we've ever seen. Native American people and Latinx people are more likely to live in a childcare desert. It's just on and on. This sort of intersection of all of the factors that have been working against people during the pandemic all seem to intersect around childcare.
1: Yeah, that's a commonality I feel like amongst (laughs) amongst all parents. Which is not to
0: say that if you are hearing this and you're like, "Oh, I, I had a baby and I need to hire a nanny," there may be an absolutely wonderful nanny available to you because. She has had, don't discount somebody who's been out of work. Like right. it probably wasn't anything to do with the quality of that person's care. Oh, the other fascinating statistic that I think is so important to keep in mind as we really think hard about what it means to fairly employ domestic labor is that the, the national, hang on, let me get this right. The National Domestic Workers Alliance did a big survey and showed that of the uh, 90% of their survey respondents were mothers themselves. It's very possible that somebody you're employing to care for your children is also a mother of a school-aged child. And so you have to factor that into your plans. It's important to have backup. It's important to have backup to your backup.
1: Yep. Oh my God. That has never been more true. Okay. While we're on it, I'll ask you, I'll ask you this question. What is your perspective on what's happening with women in the workforce over the past year? Because I think from what I'm reading is that there's been a lot of dropping out.
0: I think it is so important, and this is not a criticism of you. This is how it's been presented mm-hmm. largely. This idea of dropping out—it's not dropping out; it's they've been forced out. Right, and right. They, yeah. Even those—no, but even those who like like myself. So my husband is an essential worker; he's a doctor. I, at the beginning of the pandemic, had to start turning down a lot of work, and also just had a lot of work disappear on me. Things that were meant to be projects for places that no longer had funding, things that were meant to be live speaking events that just disappeared, mm-hmm. and I wasn't ready yet to turn them into web webinars. And oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. I also, by the way, like no, <laughs> in my interviews, I'm always like, ah, I didn't sleep well last night. I have kids. But so it's important to externalize these factors and to understand that even when you think you made a decision, of, we looked at our family and we decided that he has the insurance with his job and he makes more money and he has more of a chance to keep making more money, Those are all really valid things and really important factors as people figured out what was going to work for their families, but it's important not to self-blame with that. There's a reason that he was better paid for the job he was doing. It's called the gender wage gap. It's called the motherhood penalty and the daddy bonus. And. Mm Absolutely. Even in my own home, we made a lot of those extremely old-fashioned gendered decisions. Like I have made, I can't even count, 3,000 meals. My husband's (laughs) cooked like two because he's gone 15 hours a day in spite of being in every other way, my equal partner. And so let's looking at the the bigger story of getting women back into work. Have you heard of uh, the Marshall Plan for Moms? No. So this is Reshma Saujani, who is a genius, brilliant woman and a mom, was the founder of Girls Who Code. And her big project for the last several months has been to push the new administration to prioritize mothers. And so a lot of actually these corrections that you're seeing happening around childcare are because of what she was proposing in the Marshall Plan for Moms, which is to essentially pay women for all of the unpaid labor that we had to take on over this past year in order to help give us a cushion to get back into our paid careers and make up for lost ground. And I think it's brilliant. And a big part of that was also demands for the childcare czar and looking at bailing out the childcare industry. And so a lot of that is happening. We have not yet gotten direct payments to moms. However, part of the rescue plan is this new child tax credit, which is different. It's not the same as paying moms for the labor they've done. It is really actually, it's like a, it depends on how your family income works, but it's about $300 per child, per family, per child that you receive. That is simply a buffer of normalizing the idea that no child should live in poverty and If that is part of what comes out of this time and we normalize that as there is actually, there is a cushion there for children to have the ability, no matter their circumstances, to live healthy, fed, clothed, housed lives. Like that, that is a huge win. And it's, it's crazy that we have not had that sort of social um, safety net for our kids before. But there it is. So these issues are all, as you can tell, as I'm rambling through this stuff, like they're all so incredibly interconnected. Mm-hmm. You cannot work to your fullest capacity without good childcare an affordable childcare. If you have a partner, that partner has to partner with you in the unpaid labor in order for you to be able to fully do your paid labor. It's all of these things really intertwine in a tangle that I think is complicated, but also really important to address and not just to write off as, like, oh, I have to do it all, or I can't possibly do it all, or I can't do it all at once, or I'm going to feel guilty for not being like the world's greatest mom and the world's greatest employee.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is it. It is crazy, and I think about this last year has been like a confluence of it all, and especially I personally have felt it so much because I'm, you know, self-employed. I like you, and when I have, we've fallen into these gendered norms. Whereas, but it, it's like like the the chicken or the egg, or it's a catch twenty-two. It's very circular. Like I can't. I was able to start my own business, and like my husband's salary pays our world, but I can't continue to grow this business if I can't work on this business, if I'm so busy, you know, handling yeah. the kid. And it's just, it's, and I know so many other like self-employed moms are in the same boat where it's yeah. like all that stuff just falls on them because they're- their husband, yeah exactly
0: because they can put the laundry in while they do the podcast interview and why wouldn't they (laughs) exactly exactly
1: i know that you have a hard stop because of child care care. (laughs) (laughs) it's a perfect end but i so appreciate your time and your knowledge this is just like a jam-packed interview for anyone who's navigating the return to work world
0: and why don't you tell everyone again where they can find you Oh, thank you. Yes, this has been such a, a wonderful, meaningful conversation. Thank you for having me on. So, my book is called The Fifth Trimester. You can buy it anywhere. My business is also called The Fifth Trimester, and it's just thefifthtrimester.com. And you can connect with me there if you have anyone at your workplace who runs an ERG or who works in talent retention who would want me to come help support parents. And then on Instagram, um, my handle is all spelled out, The Fifth Trimester. And there's lots of free resources there that I hope can be helpful to you. I write a couple of columns, I write a column monthly for Mason. The online boutique, and another one for Parade for Parade Media. So those are also posted there, and and I answer so far all direct direct messages. That's I consider that my pro bono work because my coaching is like corporate coaching, and that is I will get back to you if you write me there if you have a question, and it can be helpful for me to learn from the experiences that people are going through too. And I just have to add the
1: book is. Just such a good how to returning like to the workforce. So I like listeners, please just go out and buy it. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Oh, can I say one more thing? So the yes. audio book also, which is this, has sold more audio books than books tend to because I, I've go been listening to it. Yeah, <laughs> right. So <laughs> the woman, the woman who does the voiceover for it, recorded it as her first job back after having her first baby. So she was in her own fifth trimester, which I loved.
1: Oh, I love that. I I did listen to it. I, I was midway through. it. I'm like, I don't
0: think that this is you read it. And then I looked up <laughs> to see who it was. and it really, yeah. Now I kind of was like, why didn't they ask me? Is my voice really annoying? I don't no, know.
1: No, <laughs> I, I, I really wish. it's. I, I love when the authors read their books because you can like really, but I think that the girl that read it did a very good
0: job. She did. And it was actually considered from a business perspective, they were like, we got you a voice artist. And I was like, oh, thank you. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. And thank yes. you for doing this work to support moms. We need it and it shouldn't have to be on us to to make all of these corrections, but there's no one more capable and I'm just glad to be a part of it. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Okay. That's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mom and friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarahjuna.co. At Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.